0: Um, We've been talking about um, Daniel, and and there's kind of been this this back and forth that's been happening between Daniel, his three friends, and the king Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar is the king of the empire of the world, basically the Babylonian Empire. He is, uh, you know, he's the most powerful man in the world, and so God has repeatedly kind of come after Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar took. Daniel and his three friends into exile. He basically kidnapped them, brought them into his country, he wants to Babylonianize them. And lo and behold, these guys are followers of Yahweh. They, they know God, and so they're not going to follow any other gods, and they stay true to their values. And the way that we've talked about that is basically like you uh, and I oftentimes believe that we're sitting in some, time, some type of a Christian nation, but that in large part is not true, even though there's Judeo-Christian values throughout uh, you know, our country and things of that nature. But uh, we, we don't really live in a Christian nation, and increasingly so. And so how do we, as people who follow Jesus and the, the, the God of the Bible, same, same, same deal there, uh, how do we continue uh, to follow this God in the midst of situations like when if you stand up for God in this situation, you lose something. You lose your job. You lose you know, credibility. You, you lose all kinds of things because our culture is going to look down on you and, and, and things like that. So how do we continue with that? Lo and behold, what we see here is we see something that is it's just profound, and that is that God is is going after a guy that you and I would say, there's no way that that dude would ever follow God. There's no way. I mean, he is the 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 leader of the uh, of the world essentially. I mean, he has everything. There's no way that he's ever going to say, "Okay, God is God and I'm, you know, you know, I'm gonna follow him or something like that. And think about the, the laughter that happens sometimes in relation to our God and in relation to what, uh, what is required of us as we follow our God. Think of the laughter that happens. Like, oh, why would you even try to convert this person to convert that person? The truth is this, that God is the one who's doing the converting in this situation. God is the one who is using these guys in uh, Nebuchadnezzar's life and he and so God is going to Nebuchadnezzar and he's giving him these dreams and these dreams are, are, are basically of your impending judgment. Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming and you must know that uh, my kingdom, Nebuchadnezzar, God is saying to him, my kingdom will end up filling the entire earth It will overtake your kingdom, and your kingdom will not last forever. In fact, I'm the one who's even put you in that place. God is repeatedly coming back to him and telling him this. So he uh, acknowledges God, and then he falls away. And then he acknowledges God, and then he falls away. And then he acknowledges God, and then he falls away. Does that sound familiar at all? Anybody ever feel like they're doing that? Anyone? 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 One right here. Okay, there we go. All right. All right. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Uh, isn't that our life? And we get it so wrong when we're looking at this passage and we go, yeah, I'm Daniel. But the truth is, is that we're so much like Nebuchadnezzar. And unfortunately, it's, it, we're so much like him that for some of us, we, we also really haven't ever entered into real faith with God. We've never actually given our life to God. We've known about God, but it's never really transferred to our heart. We know some things about him because we're like, somehow we give lip service to him, and we say, you know, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm all about the big man upstairs, or JC and me are, are buddies, Jesus is my homie, I grew up in a Christian home, I started going, I went to church at this age, I was in youth group, I was you know, whatever. Or I'm turning over a new leaf in my life, and now I'm just, I'm going to start going to church. I'm going to be a good person. But here's the thing, like knowing about God does not lead to change for God. And in fact, there's people in, in uh, it, who, who say that they're a part of Jesus' church, who would say this, that if you know God, then good things are going to happen to you. And God is here for for your exaltation and and all kinds of good things are going to take place in your life. Call it prosperity gospel. If you do these things, if you do that, if you do the other thing, then God will do these things. But rarely are they ever talking about the humility that comes from actually acknowledging God as ruler and as king. Rarely do they ever do that. We find that happens so many times. And some of us say, you know what, I just want to come to church and I want you to tell me good things about myself. And the problem is, is that you've never acknowledged the reality of who you are. And Christians have a really hard problem acknowledging the reality of who they are, don't we? We have a, a real problem acknowledging where our sin is at. We come in with incredible arrogance into the culture. And we have we have put people down and we get into arguments about things like gay marriage and abortion and um, transgender rights and and things like that. And we do that with such arrogance. And I'm not for a second saying that we shouldn't have uh, moral beliefs about those issues that are in line with the scriptures. What I'm saying is, is this, is that we come in with an arrogance. We've never acknowledged the fact that the only reason why we're walking with God is because he's the one that has pursued us and he is the one who has caused us to be his. He's the one who's in charge of that. And God is showing that to Nebuchadnezzar in a massive way. In a massive way. And so what, what has happened is that Nebuchadnezzar has a dream again. And he goes to the same people. He goes back to the same people. He's repeating the same behavior over and over and over again, thinking that somehow this time it's gonna, be, this, this time it's gonna change. Even though Daniel has spoken to him um, God has spoken to Nebuchadnezzar through Daniel over and over again. Nebuchadnezzar still goes back to all of these typical cultural people and says, you know, I, uh, I, I, I want you to tell me what's going on with life. And we do the same thing. And so he's done that again. And Nebuchadnezzar, um, sorry, Daniel comes back to Nebuchadnezzar and says, you know, I don't really want to tell you the interpretation of this dream because it is not going to go well for you. It is not going to go well for you. In fact, he leaves off at the end of this, and he says in verse 27, 427, Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. So Daniel says, listen, this, this is the dream. Here's the interpretation. It's not going to go well for you, but you have an opportunity to repent. You have an opportunity to repent. And so he says, man, break off your sins. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness. Like, change the way that you're, you're doing life. Go from practicing iniquity and, and practicing sin and taking advantage of people and oppressing the poor and all of this and start following This God and so he gives them an opportunity to repent and many of us are in that same place you have an opportunity to repent perhaps you've heard the gospel you believe that you know the gospel you believe that you know the story about Jesus Christ about his life his perfect life his death his burial his resurrection in your place for your sins and in essence he is substituting himself for you he takes the punishment So you know that, but knowing stuff about God does not lead to change for God. It's just, it's head knowledge, and it's never actually transferred into your heart, which is the same thing that's happening with Nebuchadnezzar here. And so he says this in verse 28, All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar at the end of 12 months as he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. So what the threat was this, your kingdom's going to be taken away from you, you're going to go full on beast mode, like you're going to turn into this beast, and you're going you're to live in a field, and all of this stuff is going to happen if you do not change, if you do not repent. This is going to take place in your life. But it says, all of this came upon Nebuchadnezzar at the end of 12 months. God had given him 12 months To make a change. God had given him 12 months to actually say, okay, I want to do this thing with God. And maybe you're in this place where, like, God has given you these these opportunities to continually say, man, you've got to change. You see what's happening in your life. You've got to change. You keep hearing it. You keep hearing it. But somehow, it does not connect to your heart. It does not connect to who you are it never transfers down here and this is essentially what he does he reverts right back to pride to self-reliance to arrogance and it says this in verse 30 and the king answered and said is not this great babylon which i have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. Whew. Man, think about this. How many times has God said to him, like if you read the first bit, if you haven't been with us this whole time, if you read this over and over again, like, like he's been told over and over again, you are not the one that has started this kingdom. I am the one that has put you into this place. I'm the one who has caused this to be. I'm the one who's made it happen. And yet what's, what he does is that, again, he reverts to this pride, to this self-reliance, to this arrogance. And, and what what's taking place, And he says, man, the kingdom that I'm a part of is this great kingdom. I have built it by my mighty power and I've made my royal residence and it is for me and it is to me. It's not just that he built it, it's not just that he. it's, it's incredible, it's that he looks at it and he says, this is ultimately and finally it is about me. It is so that I can be glorified. And though we don't use that word very often, the truth is we are looking for glory all the time. We look for it all the time. How many selfies do you have going on Facebook or on Instagram? What is that all about? What what is it with selfie culture that says, look at me look at the glory of who I am? Or what I'm doing. I'm not saying that every picture is wrong at all. But I do want to say this, that there is a lot of this in our culture today. There is a lot of it. Look at me. Look at the glory of what I've done and the things that I have provided. When we're not acknowledging God's blessing in our prosperity. It's not that prosperity is wrong. It's, It's when we say that somehow I just worked hard enough. I just I girded up my loins, I, you know, whatever, I I I made this thing happen, pulled up my bootstraps, whatever you want to say. And I and I worked hard, and I and I made the American dream happen. It's not acknowledging God's hand in your prosperity. It's an ultimate insecurity in your life. It's an insecurity that, that is just that is like you might be saying, I don't really take pride in my life. I'm so insecure. I mean, I don't like the way that you know I do this or I look in that or something along those lines. I'm just insecure. But the thing about it is that our insecurity is rooted in a deep sense of pride. It's a deep sense of pride that says that people should think that I look this way and I'm so concerned about what everybody thinks. It's saying this, it's thinking about yourself so much. That you have created this image that says, man, I, I, I need people to look at me. I need, I need to be wanted. I need to feel secure. It has become all about me and it's become all about you. That's Our insecurities even are rooted in our pride. How about academic pride? An academic pride where, you know, somehow in the midst of, of college or, or maybe you're out of college now or what have you, there's this pride of what you've accomplished because you got this degree or that degree. It's your education. I was talking to somebody recently who, who uh, somebody on our staff that's you know out of college recently who was saying that like ministry majors take pride in their closeness to God. Ministry majors take pride in like, man, I'm studying the Bible all the time. I really have this connection with God. I really have this. Connection with God now. It's, it's one of the worst types of pride that there is because it's all head knowledge. It's never It has not made it to the heart most of the time. Business majors take pride in their future success and, and their acumen, their ability to, their thing. well, I would just make this happen, I would make that happen, in all of these hypothetical terms. Psy, psychology majors take pride in their knowledge of other people. Oh, I see why you're doing that, you know? You've... You, uh, you know, whatever, you had this in your childhood and now you're, that's why you're crazy. You know, I mean, like something, you know, whatever. Like it's, it's, it's very concerning when you take a psychology class and now you're diagnosing people that are your same age. I just just want to say that might not be a good idea. There's academic pride. There's the pride uh, of life, of the way that my, my family is going. It's taking uh, true... Uh, um, credit for the way that the things in your life have come about whether it's your kids or the way that your home looks or or whether it's the the business that you have built it it is the root of what all of humanity is dealing with this 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 root of pride and it is uh the pride of sin Our sin is ultimately and finally rooted in this pride. Nebuchadnezzar very clearly states it. He very clearly states his sin. And you and I can look at that and say, what a buffoon. But you know what's really happening? Is that we can look at people like that and we can say, man, you're such a moron. But the thing is that we do this a thousand times all of the time. We're consistently somehow saying that somehow I am so amazing or I should be so amazing. And our sin is rooted in a deep sense of pride about what we've provided, about what we're going to provide, about who we're going to be, about who we married or who we're going to marry or about any number of things. Do you realize that? There is an immense amount of pride that comes in not walking with Jesus. It's the pride of sin. And when we persist in this pride, this is what kind of takes place. Let's look at it. It says this in verse 31. While the words were still in the king's mouth, mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. He's still speaking, and all of a sudden, God has decided, that's it. That's done. It's, I have gone far enough. I've given him grace. I've given him grace. I've given him grace. And here's here's the point where now God's going to respond with something else. And God is saying, okay, I'm going to respond, and it's going to be discipline. While the words were still in the king's mouth, A voice from heaven falls and says, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. And you shall be driven from among men. And your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men, ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. Now, think about what's happening here. Think about it as that we're, we're looking at a story here, but let's, let's, let's kind of talk about how this might look in our own lives. Like you're going on, you're going on, you're going on, there is some type of pride there. It may not be this massive pride where you're saying, hey, look at me, look at my business, look at my family, look at the things that I'm doing. But it may be, it just may be that you have this hidden pride It's a hidden pride that's going on that's going on going on and it may be sexual sin and it may be that it is just just an underlying belief that somehow you're better than other people you have got it figured out It, it may be the pride that somehow I've been doing this for a while I don't really look down on other people but your need for god in life is so minuscule it's just like it like walking with god in life for you is just like it's kind of a cakewalk maybe even reading your bible and praying has been good but like i've said knowledge about god does not lead to change for god And so you've got increasing in knowledge, but there's never been a connection from head to heart for you. So the pride of sin for you that God finally exposes just it just comes out. And all of a sudden there's immense doubt. Or all of a sudden you're exposed. Or all of a sudden, like everything comes crashing down. You lose a business. It's loss of some sort. And what it can feel like is God saying, all right, that's it. I'm removing my blessing. Here you go. You reap what you sow, right? And we can begin to say, because we've believed the prosperity gospel teachers sometimes that have told us, you know what, you do what's right, God's going to do what's right to you. You know, if, you, if, you, you, know, if you, you just have faith, God's gonna provide these things. And we say, I would never believe in that, but the truth is that we have churches in many parts of the country that teach things like this. and are on TV a lot of times. These guys write books. We're not really looking at the scriptures. We're not really looking at what's going on. We're not really reading what God's word has to say. And so how does God respond to our sin? How does he respond to our pride? Well, ultimately what it feels like is judgment. Judgment is coming, Nebuchadnezzar. If you don't turn away from your sin, judgment is coming, and that's true, but we also have to look at it in another way. We also have to look at it in another way. Let's look at verse 34. At the end of days, at the end of the days, the seven periods of time, it's probably seven years, we'll call it seven years, we don't know for sure. But At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. Let's, let's, let's think for a second. Like what, what happened was, hey, Nebuchadnezzar, you're, you're so prideful and it comes out in the way that you live your life and God has set his affections on this guy. God has looked at Nebuchadnezzar and, and has said, I am coming after you. And he gives him words of wisdom through, through dreams. And Nebuchadnezzar is finally in this place where he finally hears it, because his pride has been exposed for what it is. But what did it take? It took the loss of everything. It took the loss of everything that he thought was real. It took the loss of his mind. It took the loss of his kingdom. It took took the loss of, of all things for him to get to this point, and you could look at it and you could say well god's judging me because he's he's destroying my life he's ruined me god come on i'm so sorry fine but that's not how nebuchadnezzar responds nebuchadnezzar responds and he says at the end of the days i nebuchadnezzar lifted my eyes to heaven And my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. Remember, I said last week, we're we're seeing, we're hearing a testimonial from a guy that's been through the ringer. And here he is, and he's saying, Man, I'm finally at this point where I'm no longer saying, Look at what I've done, look at who I am, look at, look at all of my accomplishments. But what's taken place is that there has been a deep and incredible humiliation in his life. He's been humiliated. He's been absolutely humiliated. He's wandering around like a beast. It says earlier in the passage that that, uh, the the dream that he was given from God kind of gives this picture of Nebuchadnezzar's self-image as he's He's kind of you know, giving things to the beasts of the field and everybody has shelter from him and he's kind of this benevolent dictator and God reduces him to a beast. He humiliates him. He allows him to be humiliated. See, God responds to the sin of pride and really to the pride of sin with a deep and incredible humiliation. But the problem is, is that too often we see this as a humiliation that God, make it stop, make it stop, make it stop. But the truth is, is that God's grace is absolutely shining through. Because at first we have this pride of sin that we're living in and we give lip service to god yeah i know he's the most high yeah i know he's he's good and i I know i'm out here at church and stuff like that i just want life to be a little bit better but god is saying it that's not enough lip service to me knowing stuff about me doesn't lead to change for me he's saying that's like this sin of pride does not get taken care of in that way. It gets taken care of through this humiliation of faith. It takes like an incredible humiliation. And sometimes, some of us go through that and we lose everything. And you lose the business, you lose the wife, you lose the comfort. You're not walking around in your palace saying look at what i've done anymore and now you're looking at inside of your heart and you're saying look at what i've done look at what i've done look at what look at look at where i've landed myself it's the humiliation that comes before faith really takes place so we have the pride of sin the humiliation of faith and my question to you is is have you had have you ever had have you ever experienced the humiliation of faith. Because the humiliation of faith, in large part, is what Nebuchadnezzar went through. It's the realization that I am nothing and he is everything. Look at what he says, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion. Look at what Uh, Nebuchadnezzar was saying before this, look at how incredible I am. He believed that his dominion was everlasting. He believed that that's what he was. Now he says to God, his dominion is an everlasting dominion. What's a dominion? It's a, it's a, a, uh, a realm of rule. God's dominion is forever. His realm where he rules is forever. It's everlasting. And his kingdom endures from generation to generation. It's God's kingdom that ultimately matters. It's God's kingdom that ultimately will bring about all things. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. He looks at himself and he says, listen, I... I wanted wanted to believe that I am this and that and the other thing, I wanted to believe that I was so great. In fact, I gathered around me a bunch of teachers that say, you know what? You are the center of the universe. Tell everyone what you want them to do and they should listen to you. Do you know we have that today? Do you know who believes that they're the center of the universe? Most of us. It's Facebook culture. It's selfie culture. It's It is the people who need to be brought to light that are being exposed day in and day out today through sexual misconduct with women. As as they say, I'm the most important person in the world. I rule and I reign in this realm, and you must be humiliated before me by obeying who I am. That should be exposed but if you think for one second that you are not capable of that it may not be in sexual misconduct but you and I are absolutely capable of the same kind of sin that Harvey Weinstein and Louis CK and any of these others why because we have a human heart because we we thrive on this pride we teach it to our kids our culture is based on it and we wonder why it's crumbling from the inside we all are engaged in it every single one of us and when you begin to believe that somehow you are not you've missed the gospel Because the gospel, the truth of the gospel, gets written on your heart as you begin to realize the truth about who you are. The way that Nebuchadnezzar began to realize the truth about who he is. Romans Romans chapter 1 talks about how all of humanity, instead of worshiping God, they worship the creation. Ultimately, it turns into self worship. That's why we say to our culture, we will not bow down and worship your gods of self. I will not acknowledge something that you are saying is is true when it's not. That's no longer the image of God. That's not what God created in your life. I'll say it kindly. I love you. I want you to come to Jesus. But that's why we will not acknowledge that. Then Romans 3.10 says this. As it is written, no one is righteous. No, not one. You can't come to God and say that somehow you have any type of a a vestige of any bit of righteousness. You did not come to God and you have not come to Him if somehow you, you come to Him and you say, I'm coming to you just because I'm that good. I realize that I need something. There's nothing good in you or I that draws us to God. Nebuchadnezzar is proof of that. Hey, there's God. He showed me who he is. I had this massive experience with him. And I'm going to continue doing the same thing. And guess what? You and I will do the same thing over and over again. There's no one righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. When you look at that and you say, ah, man, that's pretty harsh, don't you think, pastor? That's the humiliation of faith. You can't have faith without first coming to a realization that you don't have what it takes to walk with God. You might say, well, I'm not that bad. Yes, but you have the potential to be Harvey Weinstein. We point people out all day long. Every single one of us, if there's a video of our lives and of of the things you've pictured in your mind or the things that you've said, don't tell me for a second that every single one of us wouldn't be plastered on the news. Oh, Matt Porter, he's a whatever. Every single one of us is that guy. Every single one of us is at a place where now we've, we, we, we should know, okay, I'm not in charge. I don't have what it takes. Romans, like, screams this to us. Nebuchadnezzar's life is screaming this to us. You don't have what it takes you're not right with God. You have sin beyond sin. It is, this, it is rooted in this pride that says, forget you, God, I'm going to worship this creation. I'm going to worship this creation. And I'm going to ask everyone else to do it as well. Do you see what's happening? Nebuchadnezzar gets it because he has experienced the humiliation that can only come from true faith. You might say, oh, man, I, I thought faith was about me feeling good about, about myself. The beginning of faith is not you just feeling good about yourself. It's the realization of your sin. It's the realization of you don't have what it takes. That's what it is for Nebuchadnezzar, and I do believe he came to faith. People are, disagree on that. I don't care. What had to happen in Nebuchadnezzar's life He took his eyes off of, off of this, saying, look at how glorious I am. And he said, he lifted his eyes to heaven. What is that? It's saying, okay, I'm ready to listen now. Do you know what happens with my kids? Are there any of them in here? No, okay, good. I mean, we just have these moments. I mean, they're growing up. They, they're getting personalities of their own We've tried to inhibit that, but... Um, <laughs> but, it, you know, you get to this point where, where, where you say, hey, hey bro, come here. Come here. And the dude walks up, and he's just like, mm-hmm. He's just like not looking me in the eye. And I'm like, you look at me right now. Like, look look me in the eye. What am I asking for? And why does he not want to look at me? He doesn't want to look at me because... It's like, I don't want to hear what you have to say. I don't want to acknowledge what you're saying is true. I don't want to admit my problem. Nebuchadnezzar lifts lifts his eyes to heaven. It's no longer like, I'm not going to look you in the eye. Okay, yeah, 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 you're the most high. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he lifts his eyes to heaven. Why? Because now he sees That he is not in control and God is sovereign. Sovereign means absolutely and finally in control. That God is in control of all of the circumstances of life. He allows evil to take place. I don't know why, for some reason, it will glorify him in the future in some way. That's a hard concept to receive. It is very hard for those of you that have been through very difficult things. It is, a st- I don't even know how you do it. He talks about his dominion. He says the inhabitants of earth are accounted as nothing in verse 35. He says man's not in control. Our, our culture says that somehow that uh, you know, you're going to get left behind history. You're going to be on the wrong side of history because somehow... History, apparently, to our world is the determinate factor in what is good and what is evil. Nebuchadnezzar says it is not up to humanity to determine that. Look at the humiliation that comes as his pride is torn away. The humiliation is, I'm not in control. All of humanity is, is counted as Nothing. He does according to his will. It's according to his will. He does what he wants in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. He just does what he wants. Can you imagine that? God doing what God wants to do and not asking me? Like, hey, Matt, I'm thinking about, you know, what what do you think? Could, could, could Could you let me know? Is that really God? Or is that some wacky counselor that comes to you and, and, and will, you, will you give me approval for what I'm doing? No, our God is sovereign. Our God is sovereign. None can stay his hand. You can't stop him. You can't say, I don't want this to happen. Well, my God would never do that. God doesn't listen to you in that respect. God does what he wants, when he wants, however he wants to do it. It is... The exemplification of his righteousness. He is righteous in all he does. He decides what is righteous. And none of us have the ability to say, God, I don't like what you're doing. You can say it. But ultimately, it doesn't lead to anything but just more pride that says, I should be in charge. God, what you're doing is wrong. And there is no faith that has come from humiliation. It is pride that has come from more sin. Look at what happens to him. Verse 36. At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom. Look at what he's saying. He's he's saying, I was established in my kingdom. I I didn't establish myself in my kingdom. Now there's a proper view that I'm glorifying God. I'm honoring him. I'm praising him. I'm acknowledging that he's the one that's given me my kingdom, my purview of where I rule, whether it's in my family, in my house, in my my job, in in my world. He's acknowledged that. He says he was established in his kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. I didn't add more greatness to me. Greatness was added to me by God. God is the one who's acknowledged him. I gave you this. And what's funny is that when you acknowledge God as the giver of all good things, and you say, God, you're amazing, I glorify you, somehow God is saying, yes, and this is how I'm going to glorify you in these ways. We derive our glory from the glorious one, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven for all his works are right and his ways are just and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. That's the key verse in the whole passage. So here's what we have. We got the pride of sin, the humiliation of faith. But if we choose not to learn from that, if we choose not to walk with God, it's just impending judgment. Just impending judgment. Just impending judgment. How can we get to the point where we grasp this humiliation for what it is? See, I, I just I just don't like the idea of saying that I need to be humiliated. All, all of these, these women have been humiliated by this sexual misconduct that's not what we're talking about we're talking about a spiritual understanding of yourself that brings about a real humiliation that says I am not what I thought I was but how can we grasp that I mean why why would God ask that from does he just want me to grovel okay fine I'm sinful okay uh, fine you're good and I'm sinful is that what God wants that's, that's not what God did. That's not what God did. See, what, what happened in Nebuchadnezzar is very similar to what happened to Jesus. And more than happened to Jesus, it's what Jesus had planned before time began. See, Nebuchadnezzar, his kingdom was taken from him. It says, The kingdom has departed from you. Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom was taken from him, but Jesus willingly gave up his kingdom. He gave up being in perfection with God the Father and the Holy Spirit, living as a trinity in perfect unity, in royalty. He gives that up. He departs his own kingdom. It says in Philippians two, verse six, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Like he lets it go. It says in second Corinthians eight, verse nine, though he was rich yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. See, Jesus intentionally gives up his kingdom. Jesus intentionally gives up all the glory that he's living in, and he chooses to come. It says here in verse 32, it says, and you shall be driven from among men to Nebuchadnezzar. Jesus himself was driven to men Nebuchadnezzar is driven from men. Jesus is driven from royalty, from deity, keeps his deity, and comes to, to, uh, to earth as a man, the God-man. He enters into humanity. It says, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. Nebuchadnezzar's dwelling was with them. Jesus' dwelling was with tax collectors and sinners, he was arrested. He was beaten and treated as a criminal. What is Jesus doing? Jesus is taking what is owed to you and I. Jesus is taking it. It says, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. Nebuchadnezzar's body was wet with dew. Jesus' body was broken and was wet with his own blood. Nebuchadnezzar's hair grew long as eagle's feathers, but Jesus' beard was ripped out, and he was given a crown of thorns. Nebuchadnezzar's fingernails grew long, but Jesus was pierced with nails. Nebuchadnezzar spent seven periods of time as a beast in the field. Jesus spent 33 years as the God-man with you and I, who are essentially the beasts of the field, so that you might know who the Most High is. Jesus had every reason to be prideful. Jesus had every opportunity to sit in arrogance, and yet he humbles himself and he comes here and he does more than just come. He goes to the cross and he's brutalized. So you've got some, some pride. And that's that's ultimately the root of your sin. And you go through this humiliation of, of coming to God and just realizing whether it's through horrific circumstances, life is falling apart, I've lost everything. Or whether it's just because you read your Bible and now you're just at this place where you're like, man, I see my sin for what it is. What you can take comfort from is this, is that Jesus is the one who ultimately and finally took your judgment. Jesus takes the punishment that you and I deserve for all of this pride and for all of this arrogance. Jesus is the one who does this for us. See, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, and Jesus is the one who's humble, and he is the one who brings out the humility in our lives. He is the one. When you see that Jesus, it it wasn't just that he he died on a cross and he paid for sins, whatever. When it goes from your head and it goes to your heart and you realize, man, I I am so prideful I am somebody who just is rife with pride and arrogance and I need this humiliation. And when you see Jesus and his willing humiliation on the cross, what we get from that is humility. And we can finally walk with God in a new way. But guess what? It's just a process that we go through all the time and so here's what I'm asking myself. Where's my pride? Is it, is it going before me? Is, can everybody see where my pride is at? Is it hidden? Where's my pride? Where, what is my pride rooted in? What I want our community groups this week to look at is, is, is to say this. How do we walk this out together? How do we flesh out like this is my pride? Or maybe you're somebody, or you, you could just say honestly, like, I have never really understood what it means to walk with God. Like, I have a connection with him. That's what my family's done, but I've never really been connected. You gotta say it. You gotta tell people that know Jesus. And then you've gotta pray. You've gotta, you've gotta pray. I tell people this all the time. Like, there's this sense in which you're like, man, I wanna realize it, but it's only been head knowledge to me, and I gotta tell you, That in my life, this is who I was. And I was like, man, I just want to be good so that God will love me. I just want to be good so that God will love me. And I never realized, I thought that was a humble statement. I want to be good, I want to be good. But God needed to show me my pride. And so my life was devastated in so many different ways. But I was praying to God throughout the whole time. God, I want to experience you. I want to experience you. God, I want to want to walk with you. Like, I know that I'm doing things right now that are sinful. I know that I'm doing things that are not right with you. But I kept saying, God, I want this. I want this. And little by little, like, difficulty came in my life. And God was so gracious in that. Do you see how gracious God was to Nebuchadnezzar? God is gracious to Nebuchadnezzar as he basically just flows on his life and just says, it's all gonna go to nothing so that you can see the greatness of the true and living God. That's what God did for me. Has he done it for you? Has life just come to an end? Listen, you gotta pray that prayer. God, I want to more than just have a head knowledge about you. I wanna have heart knowledge. I I wanna be with Jesus. I don't want to be these punk Christians that are walking around acting like they got it all together. You know what? We don't need any more of that. You know what we need? We need people that are humiliated to faith. And they say, I once was lost, but now I'm found. They can say, I was somebody who exercised sexual misconduct, and now I'm found. I pray that for our church. I pray that for these men that are being humiliated in the news media. I pray that for all of us because every single one of us is in the same place without Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I'm asking that you would do a work in our lives. Lord, would you speak to us right now? Lord, I'm thinking of I'm thinking of men right now who are sitting in pride. They will not receive the gospel because they think they need to continue to condemn themselves they don't realize that they're sitting in pride and arrogance of the gospel of you Lord bring about a humiliation of faith Lord show us your grace through desperate lives that need you at the same time Lord we just those are hard prayers Because things will get difficult. Or can each of us ask this question? Would we, do do we want Jesus more than our stuff? Do we want Jesus and his peace more than the perceived peace that I have right now?